Amen. And Lord, I know that to the world, the cross is a place of torture and torment. But Father God, for us, it is a wonderful place. It's a place where all of our sins were paid for. Or Lord, that you paid the price that we might have eternal life. And we just thank you, Lord, for the, the most awesome act of love in the history of all mankind, that perfect holy God would suffer and die for sinful men and women like us. Lord, you love us so much. And Father, we just tonight desire that you would teach us from your word, that you would minister to our hearts. Father, we'd be refreshed and we'd be encouraged in our walks with you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. If you need a Bible, um, raise your hand. Man, I'd be happy to give you one. And again, if you, if you don't have one at home, please feel free to take it as a gift from us. We'd love to have you uh, take God's Word home with you. All right. Um, Leviticus 25. We're going to, again, pick up where we left off last Wednesday night. And as we're going through Leviticus, we're about, we're about to finish up Leviticus here. We just have a few more chapters left. And what we're looking at now is we saw two weeks ago the feast, how all the feasts pointed to the end times. There was a real clear picture both of commemorating what God had done in the past and pointing to what God was going to do in the future. And then last week we saw how the people were to come with a willing heart to serve before the Lord. They were to bring the oil, a representation of the Holy Spirit. They were to bring the holy bread that was to be used by the priest. And that God would use the priest in a mighty way, but the people were called, just like the priest was, to be involved in worship and be involved in what God was doing. And then the last thing we looked at last week was how we are called to have reverence for the holy name of the Lord. And it really tied into Sunday's message, interestingly enough, because... The penalty for blasphemy was what? Stoning to death. And then we saw how the accusation we're going to see more clearly against Stephen on Sunday in Acts chapter 7 is they accused him of being a blasphemer and they wanted to stone him to death. Now tonight we're going to pick up and we're going to look at one more uh, celebration here in Leviticus that we haven't looked at yet. And we're going to see that again as holiness is is the thing that the whole book of Leviticus really points to. The first 17 chapters talked about our access to God, and these last uh, 10 chapters point to our fellowship with God, how to have a walk with Him. You know, the Lord saved us not just so that we could be Christians, but He saved us to use us for His glory. And we talked about that a lot on Sunday. And so what we're going to look at tonight is two special years of observances. The first one is called the Sabbath year, and the second one is called the year of Jubilee. And they were put in place by God to be a clear picture of His love, His grace, and His mercy. As well as God's calling upon our lives to learn to trust in Him. We're going to see a picture of both redemption and a picture that we as Christians need to trust in God. We need to come to a place where we trust in Him fully. And so we're going to see that tonight. We're going to see that everything belongs to the Lord. That all things are temporary and we need to trust in Him. To take time to set aside all the distractions of life. To be intimate with Him and to, be fe- and to fellowship with Him. So here's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at the Sabbath year first. And that will just be the first seven verses. We've got a lot of text tonight. We're going to go through verse 55, Lord willing. And then we're going to look at the year of Jubilee. So we're going to look at the time of the Sabbath and the Sabbath uh, feast or the Sabbath rest. And then we're going to look at the year of Jubilee. And we'll go into some detail in what the significance is of the year of Jubilee. But let's begin in verse 1 because we do have a, a lot of text to look at tonight. And we're going to first look at the Sabbath year. I titled the message tonight, Rest 
refreshment, and redemption. And that's really what we're going to see in this text. Is the Lord wants us to enter into His rest. Knowing that we've been redeemed by Him, we can enter into His rest. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at the Sabbath year, a time of rest for both the land and the people. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, God had promised them a land of promise, the land of Canaan. And the concern that the Lord had, and because he, He's God, He knows how the, the heart of men. And He knew that when they entered into this great land of promise, that they could very easily fall into the trap of now that they're blessed, and now that they're in the land of promise, not trusting in Him anymore. Not setting aside time for Him anymore. Have you ever noticed how we as Christians often are most desperate for God when we're in the most difficult situations of life. But when we're on the cruise ship to heaven and everything is going perfect, we tend to just kind of cruise through life. And the Lord knew that they were going to be entering into the land of promise, and He said, guys, I don't want you to forget about me. I want to make sure that you take time to seek my face. Not just to have a Sabbath day once a week, but every seven years to have a Sabbath year where they literally set aside an entire year to worship the Lord and to rest in Him. To do no work. To stop working for an entire year. But again, in this new land of promise, they, would, they were not to forget the Lord. So he said, I want you to celebrate and keep a Sabbath. Verse 3. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Now, what had God just delivered them from? They were in what in Egypt? They were in bondage. And when they were in bondage in Egypt, they were slaves. And now finally they've been delivered, they're going to go through the wilderness, and now they're going to be in the land of promise. And God's instruction to them one more time is, guys, you must trust me. I rained manna out of the sky, you know, to feed you when you were in the wilderness. I brought water forth from a rock, and now you're going to be in the land of promise, and there the temptation's going to be just to work, 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 and, and start storing up stuff for yourself, and I don't want you to get caught up in that. I want you to be still and know that I'm God. Not only take one day a week off, but every seven years, I want you to take the entire year off. So he says, toil and and reap, but that seventh year, I want you to let the land sit. Now I find it interesting that if you talk to people that work with agriculture, that when you let the land sit for a year, it actually revitalizes the soil. And this was something that was spoken of, this is 1,500 years before Christ came. But as we know, Science doesn't prove the Bible, the Bible proves science, amen? Scientists change their mind all the time. God's word's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the point was, guys, I want you to trust me. And the initial response of man is, but no, I just need to keep on working. They need to let the land rest. They need to be good stewards. They needed to take what is now called a sabbatical. Ever heard that term before? That comes from Sabbath. Take a sabbatical, take a Sabbath rest. So they needed to just rest and trust in the Lord and not continue on in their work. Uh, God wanted to be still and rest in Him. And the Bible says that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. We're to be set apart, we're to live by faith, to put God first and allow Him to carry our burdens. Verse 5-7. through What grows on its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of, of your unattended vine. For it is the year of the rest for the land. 
and the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. For you, you, your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you, for the livestock and the beasts and all that are in the land, all its produce shall be for food. So the seventh year, they were to harvest nothing. They were to trust God, rest in Him, spend time in His presence, and be ministered to by the Lord. I'll tell you what, I kind of like these Bible pro. This is pretty sweet right here. How'd you like to have every seventh year off? I'm down for that program. And the reality is, though, that you would think everybody would say, oh, that's pretty sweet. I mean, we were in bondage for 400 years. We were working seven days a week for 400 years, all the generations. And we were, we were beaten, and now we can rest in the Lord, and we can take an entire year off. And they would literally study the book of Deuteronomy. By the time that they got into the land of promise, they had the Torah, and they would study the book of Deuteronomy for a year. You can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 31. They would read the the Bible, they would spend time with the Lord, and they would rest in Him. But sadly, we're going to see that they don't stick to this. We'll talk about this more later. But what the land produced could be only used for food. They were not to go out and reap. They were not to go out and sell it. They were to let the food be there, and they were to go out and glean it as they needed it. And it was for the poor people. Anybody who wanted to glean from the field was able to. But they were to trust God to provide for them without them going out and reaping a harvest, a time of rest. In Deuteronomy 15, it also tells us that with the Sabbath, and this is another program I wouldn't mind hearing about, this is pretty sweet, everybody's debts were forgiven between people. So if you owed anybody any money when it came to the Sabbath year, you didn't owe them any money anymore. And the reason for that was, and I'm not talking, now this is not major debts that'll come in the year of Jubilee that we're going to talk about next. But if I owe my brother money when that, that Sabbath rest came, God did not want the people to go into that year of rest and worship and sitting at his feet and have them have animosity toward each other. Have them look at that guy owes me money. You know, I can't, you know, and be so caught up. The Lord just wanted everybody to let go of everything. You know what? Forget about the field. Forget about everything else. I want you to just come sit at my feet and worship me and be ministered to by my word. And I don't want you to have anything against your brother. So just to make it clear, I'm going to forgive all debts with the Sabbath rest. Nobody owes anybody any more money. And you can just come and be still and sit at my feet. But sadly, after a while, while this makes a lot of sense, and while it would be great to enter into that rest, people said, you know what? We're energetic, and we're entrepreneurs, and you know, that land sitting out there for an entire year doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do the Sabbath day, but I'm not doing the Sabbath year program. And so what happened was that the Jews began to work on the Sabbath year because they thought that they were missing out on stuff by not working. Some things never change. People think that if I work seven days a week, that's even better than working six. If I can just jam my schedule and work more hours and do the overtime and putting other things before God, I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I hear, I'll run into somebody at the mall or something, I haven't seen them at church in six weeks, and they tell me, well, I took a second job and I got some overtime because I'm trying to save up some money so we can get ahead. Well, you might get ahead financially for a minute, but you're going to fall way behind spiritually if you're spending no time with the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord who will give you the desires of your heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Amen? And too often we allow ourselves to fall into the same fleshly thing that the Jews did. Do you know how many years they worked the Sabbath? 490. They weren't messing around. The next 490 years they just worked straight. Now those of you who read your Bible, you know what ended up happening. 
is because they had no time to rest in him, God said, okay, well, I'll just, I'll make sure it happens. So in 2 Chronicles, he said, you have robbed me and yourselves of 70 Sabbaths. So in 2 Chronicles 36, all of Israel was captured and many of them were taken away into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Israel was ruled by Babylon. Daniel was a young man at that time. He was taken away into captivity. So for 490 years, they had not observed the Sabbath. So the Lord said, okay, we're just going to have 490 years worth of Sabbaths all in a row. You're just going to be in captivity for 70 years. There it is. You know, you can pay me now or you can pay me later, right? I mean, you're going to, at some point, have to stop and rest at his feet. And the reality is that why would we want to be stressed out and bummed out and and go mock to with our hair on fire and never have time for God rather than sitting and being still and trusting in him? And it's easy to fall in that trap. But I want to encourage you. We all can do it. We're in in the United States and we do that. We go crazy. And we see here that that you you could blame it on being industrial. Oh man, we're just, we're, we're entrepreneurs. You know, we just see this as an advantage. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that there would be more produce working doing the seven years or just doing six? We're going to find out in a couple verses here. I truly believe that if you honor God by saying, God, you come first in my life. God, I'm not, you know, even as a teenager, I would just ask a simple request. I encourage you to do this. When I would interview for jobs, I'd say, I can't work Sunday morning, I can't work Wednesday night. You know, I never had a problem getting a job. People would say, okay. They, you know, they're, It's okay. It's okay to put God first, amen? Is God going to let you starve? He promises that He will absolutely provide for you. You will never come out ahead when you take time away from God to pursue anything else. Let me say that one more time. You will never come out ahead when you take time away from God to pursue anything else. We can too easily begin to pursue worldly riches and personal comfort. We begin to strive in our flesh, and it's all going to end up empty. At some point, you look up and you go, man, I'm dry. I, I don't have intimacy with the Lord. It's because I haven't spent any time with Him. May we be encouraged to spend time with Him every day. So the Sabbath year, they were to set aside that entire year and to rest in the Lord. Verse 8, now we're going to move on to the year of Jubilee. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. So after this, along with the, the Sabbath year every seven years, every fifty years was the year of Jubilee. Now, That means that you would actually have two years in a row off. You'd have the 49th year and the 50th year. Man, I'm really liking this biblical program. You get two years off every 50 years. And the year of Jubilee was an incredible celebration. It began on the Day of Atonement, and that is significant. Day of Atonement, what's the Jewish name for it? Yom Kippur. And it's very significant, we'll talk about that. But when the year of Jubilee came, all debts were forgiven of every kind. So every 50 years, no more mortgage. Would you be celebrating? Amen. No debts, no slavery. Every family was reunited, and you had two years to rest in the Lord. Man, year of Jubilee sounds really sweet. It would be an awesome time. 
And that time came every 50 years. And they were to reflect back first, and they, they, they would begin by blowing of the shofar. And the shofar, the word for uh, jubilee means ram's horn. That's what it means in original language. And they would blow the shofar, and that would be the beginning of the year of jubilee. So they've had an entire year off already, the Sabbath year, and now they begin the year of jubilee. And when that begins, everything reverted back to the original owners. All the property, everything. It was wonderful. Now the Day of Atonement, again, was a time of self-examination, a time of repentance. And then the year of jubilee came after it. Now remember at Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, real quickly, that was when the high priest would take off his priestly robes. He would wear linen. He would go into the holy place only one time a year, only on the Day of Atonement. And he would take the blood of the sacrifice through the veil, and he would sprinkle the blood on the ark. Now remember that that was a picture of Christ on the cross. That he was making that atoning work. That only he could enter into that most holy place and shed his blood on our behalf. And so that happened. That's how Jubilee began. And I think it's interesting that the first day of Jubilee was the day of atonement. Because without the atoning work of Christ, the debts could not be forgiven. The slaves could not be set free. Without that atoning work, you and I would still be slaves to sin. Without that atoning work, we still would be indebted. But now we've been set free. Amen? And so that's what Jubilee was really all a picture of. The fact that it's the 50th day, to me again, is not by chance or the 50th year, because on the 50th day after Mount Sinai, or excuse me, after they were delivered out of bondage, was when the law was given. On the 50th day after Jesus rose from the dead, what happened then? Pentecost. Remember we talked about this on Sunday, the law, or, or two weeks ago, excuse me. The law was given, and when that happened, there was fire on Mount Sinai, remember that? The earth shook. And Moses came down, and 3,000 souls died that day. When Pentecost came, there was fire upon, tongues of fire upon the apostles. The earth shook, and 3,000 people got saved. We see when the law was given, that death came because the law reveals we're sinners in need of a Savior. And when the Holy Spirit came, the church started, and many were saved. And here we're talking about the 50th again, Pentecost, and now we see Jubilee being the 50th year. And so it began with the Day of Atonement. And what do they do? It says, And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to its possession and each of you shall return to his family. It was a time consecrated or set apart for holy use. And it was time to proclaim liberty. That word liberty there could also be release. Release from debt. Release from slavery. And a time for family to get together again. You know what? That's one of the things I love about when I used to live in Southern California. I loved Thanksgiving. I loved Christmas because it was a time when I got together with my whole family. And we were unrushed and we could just spend time together. And we were celebrating God's thank- our thankfulness for what God had done for us and celebrating the birth of our Savior. And the Lord said, you know what? You're going to go into this land of promise and it's going to be real easy to get busy doing stuff and forget about me. And I don't want you to do that. And so that you won't do that, every seven years I want you to celebrate a Sabbath, and every 50 years we're going to have a year of jubilee that's going to be unlike anything else that happens. And I want you to see here as we go through this how God used the year of jubilee to be always on the people's minds and to keep their eyes always upon the Lord. Look at verses 11 and 12. In that 50 years shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap, 
what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. Now, he says to them, I don't want you to work. I want you to rest in me. If you're here and you've ever grown up being taught that you have to work your way for salvation, we say this here all the time, salvation is not done by our works. Amen? It's God's grace. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And this year of Jubilee was a time of celebrating and drawing near to the Lord, and there was no work to be done. Just rest in me. Now, we do good works, and our lives produce good works when we're filled with the Spirit of the living God, but we don't do good works so God will love us. We do good works because God loves us. Amen? And there's a difference. And so he seriously says, no work is to be done. Christ has done the work on your behalf. You're no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer in debt. The price has been paid. You've been adopted into His family. You're resting in Him. You know what? We should be jubilant. Amen? As Christians today, we should, we should be jubilant. And too often we allow the circumstances of temporary life to impact our focus on eternity. And God's whole focus here was, guys, I don't want you to get your eyes off of me. I want you to continue to have hearts of jubilation, hearts set on me. Verse 13, in this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell it to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of years of crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God for I am the Lord your God. Here's a way that he kept Jubilee always on their mind. Jubilee was every 50 years. The price of everything was based on how many years away you were from Jubilee. If it was 47 years away, what you were doing in a sense is you were leasing the land for the next 47 years because if a Jewish person could not afford to live for whatever reason and they sold you their land, they could not sell it to you forever because ultimately it belonged to the Lord. The Lord gave the land to the 12 tribes of Israel uh, outside of the Levites. Okay, the Levites were to be provided for by the people because they were the priestly tribe. But they were given land, and that land could never be taken away from them. But they could, in a sense, lease it until the year of Jubilee came. So the way prices worked, if you were 47 years away from Jubilee, you knew you could, you could, you could harvest 47 crops on the land, so the price would be very high. If you were two years away from Jubilee, the price would be very low. Do you think that people knew when Jubilee was? Everybody that ever bought or sold anything was always thinking about, oh, how far away is it to Jubilee? So people's focus was that Jubilee is coming. And there's going to be a time when this land that I have will no longer be mine. I also believe what it would do is it would cause people to have hold lighter to their possessions. Because they would realize, I'm not going to possess this forever. I'm... Uh, can you imagine you go to buy a house and, okay, let's say Jubilee is 2010. You say, okay, it's 2003. If I buy this house, I get it for seven years. You might not put a new patio out back, right? I've got it for seven years. I, you know, I'm not, re- I'm not adding a new second story. I mean, the reality is you might hold a little lighter to your possessions in the realization you're not going to own it forever. And isn't that true of everything that we own? We're not going to possess it forever. Shouldn't we hold it lighter Realizing that Jubilee in, in, indeed is coming, the ultimate Jubilee when we'll be in heaven with the Lord, when no more work will be done, and we'll be resting in Him, and we'll fellowship with Him forevermore. And so Jubilee was always on their minds, and I love the way that God put it right in there, right there, bam. So every time they went to buy, 27 years of Jubilee, what would the price be? 
18 years of Jubilee. Everything they did was in accordance and looking at the time of Jubilee to get them, keep them focused on that awesome celebration that came every 50 years. All we do in business, the way we treat others, how we spend our time, should be done with a heavenly perspective. And that's what Jubilee was meant to do with the Jews. Keep them with a heavenly perspective at all times. Verse 18. So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them. And you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill, dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year. And it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year. Until its produce comes in, you shall eat the old harvest. Now, the initial response of people when God told them not to work was, well, then how are we going to eat? If I'm not out there working hard and providing for myself, then who's going to provide for me? And so often, that's the excuse that we can even make today. God's provision comes when we rest in Him. Now, I don't want you to... And again, don't take this wrong, because I've also met people, and we get calls like this down at the office, where people will say, well, I've been called by God just to be an itinerant preacher. And so I just kind of live down at the mall, and I need you to give me some money. Now, the Bible says, a man who does not work shall not eat. Amen? Laziness is a sin. The Bible says, a lazy man will say, there's a lion in the street, there's a lion in the street. And the reality, I can't go out and work today. God wants us to work. But God wants us not to rest in our careers, but to rest in Him. Amen? Not to put our faith in our job, not to put our faith in our 401k plan or our stock, you know, our stocks. And if you did that three or four years ago, you know that that's not a good place to put your faith because it all came crashing down. But the reality is that we need to trust in Him and rest in Him, but we also need to be diligent and be faithful. But it says, eat your fill. Be fed and be satisfied. Dwell in safety. The word there for safety is refuge. You know what? When you're trusting in God and you're walking in obedience, you have nothing to fear. Amen? Now, does that mean your life's going to be perfect? No. When you're walking in obedience to the Lord, you still could get cancer. You can be walking in obedience to the Lord and you can still lose your job. Sometimes it's when you're walking in obedience the most to the Lord that those difficulties come. But the difference is that when you're in love with Him, it just doesn't matter. Amen? Because God's faithful and He's sovereign and He's in control. And when you have an eternal perspective, you know where you're headed. So, Lord, okay, you knew this was coming before you made me out of dirt, Lord. You knew this was coming. And, Lord, it doesn't shock you, so I trust you. And He's saying here in, that, in verse 18, to observe His statutes, to walk in obedience to Him, and you will dwell in the land in safety. And the land will provide for you, and it will feed you if you'll walk in obedience to me. So then he said, what shall we eat in the seventh year? And you know, in Jubilee, that's really a wreck because then we have two years off when then we can't harvest. We're going to run out of food. And it's amazing that we would tell God, we're going to run out of food, God. Are you forgetting or what? Now you've got to remember, these are the same people that had been wandering in the wilderness when he was raining bread out of the sky. Right? Manna. Which means, what is it? And, and it was coming out of the sky and they had to get up every morning and there's more manna. You know, they're having banana bread and all kinds of stuff. But they're eating this stuff. That's a Keith Green song. It's not original with me. But here's the thing. They're having, you know, all this manna every day. And they saw God providing for them from the rock. And he provided bread from the sky. And now here they are going, well, if we take two years off, when are we going to eat? 
And so the Lord says, well, you know what, you guys are faithless, so let me just make it really clear. And then he says, what he's going to do is in the sixth year, he's going to bring forth enough produce for three years. And I believe this is still true today. I believe if we will just honor God and say, Lord, you come first in my house. That's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to make sure that, that I spend time with you every day. And I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to bring my ch- family to church on Sunday, and we're going to be there on Wednesday like you guys are right now. And Lord, and I'm going to get involved using the gifts you've given me. I promise you, you won't starve. Amen? God's not going to have you starve when you serve Him. And so often we make the excuse that I must work, like they were saying. And I truly believe, it's amazing to me, that the less money I make, the more I seem to be okay. Because I'm just trusting the Lord. Okay, Lord, you know what? It's okay. And it's amazing how God works it all out. And I tend to need less stuff. That God is so faithful. And that He's just saying, guys, trust me. In that sixth year, I will continue to provide for you. If you don't work in the seventh year, you don't need to worry about how you're going to eat or how you're going to pay your bills. Don't tell me you're too busy for God. And again, I hear that a lot. And actually, it breaks my heart. You'll never come out ahead when you take time away from God to pursue anything else. You'll never come out ahead. And you know what? Do you know you can pursue something, give up what is best to pursue what is good? You might say, well, I'm working on getting my PhD. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing it and you're saying, you know, I don't have time for God for the next six years because I'm working on this, you've missed it. Because pursuing God is way more important than pursuing anything this world has to offer. Amen? And getting a degree is great. And, and working hard at your job, we should be the best workers in the building. But we shouldn't be working to the point that we don't have time and we're too busy to spend time with the Lord. God says, rest in me, trust me, I'll provide for you. God says, trust me. Will we do it? I can't give. I won't be able to make ends meet. I won't be able to trust God. Do you know what? The only people that ever say that are people that don't give. I've never had anybody say to me that I've been giving to the Lord and now I can't eat. I've never heard that in 18 years of doing ministry stuff. I've never heard that. And I'm not telling you that so you'll tithe here. You know, that, you know me if you've been here more than a week. We don't even pass an offering. You give because you, not because a man manipulates you. You give because you love the Lord. But I want to encourage you, if you're waiting for there to be enough money in the bank to start giving to God, it'll never happen. There'll always be a reason why you can't give. But you know what? To me, giving really reveals my heart. Giving to me shows, Lord, you're first. And I want to give you my first fruits because you're what matters most to me, Lord. And often you can tell someone's heart just by looking in their checkbook. What do I spend my money on? What do I spend my effort striving to make money for that I can spend it on? And you can really find out where someone's heart is by what they give to. And not just your money, but your time. What do you spend your time on? Where your treasure is, there your your heart will be also. If your treasure's in, you know, biceps, you'll be down at the gym six days a week, 12 hours, you know, and you'll be doing them. And again, working out's okay, but don't let that come before God. And so he's very clearly telling them, you know what, guys, I'm going to provide for you. You need to learn to trust me. Verse 23 and 24. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. You know what? He says, guys, the land's mine anyway. And you need to understand that. It's all mine. You're striving and stressing and trying to get more stuff, and it's all mine said this before, I'm wearing God's shoes. It's God's red shirt, okay? 
The house I live in belongs to the Lord. The car I'm driving is His. And when we start to realize that it's all His stuff and the money in my account is God's money and you know the talents or the gifts He's given you and given me are God's talents and gifts, you know, if you're really good at laying tile like Ken Horn, God gave him that gift. And if, you know, if you're really good at finances like some other people in the church, or if you've got a, a, you know, a, a scientific mind like Manny Barrett, all the gifts that you have, God gave them to you that you might use them for his glory. Amen? And it's, it's all his. Everything's his. And I'll tell you, it's easier to let go when you realize it's all God's anyway. Amen? And that's what he's telling them, guys. The land's mine. Don't be striving and fighting and bickering. It's mine anyway. You guys are just traveling through. You're just sojourners here. And he says, you shall grant redemption of the land. And what that means is that if somebody sells, if you, someone buy, you buy land from somebody, then you must be willing to sell it back to them. Because the land ultimately belonged to whoever God gave it to. And they were able to come back at, at any time and pay back. They sold it with 40 years till Jubilee. And they come back 10 years later. They would pay a prorated amount, 30 years till Jubilee, to, re, to get their land back. And I believe that that did something else. When you bought land from somebody, you didn't even know if you were going to have it next year. That guy could come back and buy it back from you. Can you imagine buying a house from somebody, and he could come back next week? And so again, I believe what it did is it made them hold loosely to the things of this world. It made them realize, this isn't mine. I'm just renting. You know what I mean? It's not mine anyway. And it helped them to keep a perspective of, you know what, Lord, I want to follow after what is. I want to seek after you because that's eternal. The rest of this stuff is going to pass right through my hands. The guy could come around on his donkey next week and take his land back. Now, verses 25 to 28, three ways you could get the land back. Look at this. If one of the brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. So there was what is called a kinsman redeemer. Heard that before? What story is that from? Ruth. Boaz. Somebody could come along, and if you were so indebted you couldn't pay, then one of your relatives could come along and pay the price for you. The kinsman redeemer is a type of who? Of Jesus. We were in debt because of our sin. It was a debt that you and I could not pay, and he came and paid the debt for us. And that's what this is a picture of. That the, the young man or woman, whoever it would be, would be in debt. Their family's in debt. They can't pay the bill. And along comes a relative that says, I'll pay it for you. So that's one way that the land could be redeemed. Verse 26. Or if a man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return his possession. Again, how many years are left until Jubilee? So Jubilee was always on their mind. It was always in their thought process because it determined the value of everything. Now I find that interesting. The closer that they got to Jubilee, the less valuable stuff became. Think about that for a second. The closer we get to the Lord, the less valuable stuff becomes. A year away from Jubilee, it was like, man, you could have a field for pretty cheap. It's got a year left. Man, man, you can have it. You know, I mean, here's, you know, because the reality was there was very little time left. And the closer that we get to the Lord and the, the more that we see that the redemption of, of our Savior draweth near, the less and less valuable the things of the world become in our eyes. Amen? The more we're focused on Him and seeking after that which will outlast this life. Verse 28. It says, 
But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall be released and shall return as his possession. In the year of Jubilee, the land was returned to the original owner. It didn't cost him anything. It was a free gift of God. Picture of salvation one more time. It comes to us not because we earned it, not because we paid for it. It was a free gift that was paid for by our Savior. Jubilee. We have a lot to be jubilant about. Verse 29 and 30. But if he's not able to have it restored to him, or excuse me, if a man sells a house in a walled city, then he may, he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year, he may redeem it. But if it's not redeemed within a space of a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong permanently to him who bought it. So they weren't able to, to buy the land, but look at the rest of that verse. It says, throughout the generations it shall not be released in the jubilee. One of the things you could buy and possess forever was a house in a walled city. Why? I'm studying this, I'm asking why. Let me tell you why. I believe it's because only the land that could be harvested could bear fruit. And the land in the walled city was just a place to live. It had no real value when it came to reaping a harvest. It had no real value in anything that, would, that God designed and planned for His people. He gave them the land that would produce a harvest. He gave them the land that they could reap from and they could sow into. But a, a place to sleep in a walled city, there was no, nothing to reap. There was no fruit to harvest. It bore no fruit. And that the Lord would let go. doesn't matter who owns that. But I'm not going to let anything be taken from my children that bears fruit. I'm not going to let anything be taken from my children that will reap a mighty harvest. It's always going to return to them because the land is mine. Again, points to the advantage to build upon the land which God had given them, not to, to go in and live in another city or another place, in a, in a place that, again, would have no ultimate value. Verse 31. And it says there, However, the houses of villages which have no wall around them shall be counted as the fields of the country. They may be redeemed, and they shall be released in jubilee. And the reason these were released is because you, needed, you had villages where you had places to live, where you oversaw your land. And so these houses would be, could be redeemed, and these houses would be released back to the original owner at the time of Jubilee. Verse 33 and 34. Verse 32, excuse me. Nevertheless, the cities of the Levites and the houses of the cities of their possession, the Levites may redeem at any time. And if a man purchases a house from a Levite, then the house that was sold in the city of his possession shall be released in the Jubilee, for the houses of the cities of the Levites are their possession among the children of Israel. But the field of, of common land of the cities may not be sold, for it is perpetual possession. Now the Levites were always able to receive back what had been taken from them or what had been sold by them. And let me tell you why. Because God will always provide those who are serving Him in ministry. That's who the Levites were. They were the priests. And God's provision for them was perpetual. And it even says there in verse 34 that the one land that could never be sold was the land that provided for the priest. The land that was set aside, the common land where the food was grown and the provision was made for those who were serving in ministry was never to be sold because they were always to be provided for. That gives me peace. And it's a blessing to know that God will provide for those who serve Him. You know, if you feel called to go do something that the world thinks is crazy... If God's calling you, He'll provide for you. God's calling you to go into the mission field, then you trust Him. He'll provide for you. You may not be driving a Cadillac and living in a mansion, 
But God will make sure that your head is covered and that you're, you're fed. Amen? And I'll tell you what, there's a great place to be trusting in God to watch Him work every single day. Then also we're to have compassion for the poor. Look at verse 35 through 38. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or sojourner that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. Verse 37. You shall not lend your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. They were not to take advantage of those going through difficulty. They were to minister to people in poverty and they were to do it as a ministry. Now, God put something on my heart years ago, and you don't have to follow this practice, but when there were times when I had an abundance, and for whatever reason someone would want to borrow money, or I saw a need to... I, my heart was always just give it to them. Because I never would want a situation to be where you loan... And I had this happen early on in my, when I was a, a, a young adult. I loaned somebody some money. And the guy was avoiding me for a year. Because every time he saw me, he thought, oh, he's going to ask me where the money is. You know, and, you know, that's weak. Because it's chaff, and it's not going to outlast this life anyway, and it really doesn't matter, and it's all God's money anyway. And, and, and you know what? And if you can't give it to him, then don't loan it to him. You know what I mean? Look at your brother as someone to minister to, not someone to make a profit off of. That's not sometimes why I struggle. You know, don't look at the church as a, a, a new downline of leads. Amen? Oh, I'm going to go to that church. they got 2,000 people over there. I could sell some insurance up in there. You know, and sometimes people do that. They go from church to church looking at it as a place. And again, hey, if, if I need a plumber, I'm going to call someone in our church to come fix my plumbing because I, you know, I want to, I'd just soon bless somebody in our church if they know how to do it. But the point is, we shouldn't come here with dollar signs in our eyes looking at people as an opportunity to make money. We should come here looking, how can I love and minister and serve people? Amen? And he wanted to make it really clear. He said, don't lend out your money at usury. Don't charge interest. Don't charge excessive interest. Don't go in and do things to make yourself, oh, oh you need, really, you're down on your luck. Well, come here, let me show you something. i got a contract, 14.99% interest. If you don't pay me after the first 12 months, it goes to 39% interest. You know, and, and you become the loan shark of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. We don't need that. And the Lord's made it really clear. He says, guys, when you loan, when you give it to people, realize the money belongs to me. I've put it in your hand to care for it. But if you see the value in ministering to somebody, then I want to maybe use you to minister to them. But what God put on my heart, I'll tell you, it's been freeing for me. I just give it to them. And they'll go, well, I want to pay. I say, you know what? If you ever feel like you're supposed to pay it back, put it in the offering. That's between you and the Lord, and I don't, I'll never have to know if you paid it back or not. I don't care. And if you don't feel led to, don't. And, and then you know what? I can see him at church the next week, and he doesn't run from me. You know what I mean? He's not hiding. He's not feeling like there's something between us anymore. I would never want money to get in between brothers. Amen? And so that's what he's saying here. Look, don't turn the church into a profit-making business, and, and, and don't... Look to make profit from your brother, but look to minister to him and to love him. If you feel, the, the, feel led to do it, give it to him, so there be no resentment. Verse 38, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. This is a quick reminder, hey guys, when people need money, just remember who brought you out of bondage. Just remember that you used to be slaves. So anything you've got, I gave it to you. Amen? We used to be dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we're new creations in Christ. And we're going to heaven. Amen? And shouldn't that give us a different perspective in the way we treat people? 
Shouldn't it give us a different perspective and someone's, you know, if I lost money on it, so what? Realistically, so what? Now, I'm not saying don't be good stewards. I'm not saying just throw money out in the street and not be good stewards. God wants us to be good stewards, but he doesn't want us having money get in between opportunities for ministry. Minister to people, love them, and remember that everything you have came from the Lord anyway, and it all belongs to him. The Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you've received it from the Lord, so shouldn't we just freely give it away? Amen? And that was the heart here in this text. It's jubilee, guys. Minister to your brother. That's what he's saying, verse 39. And if one of your brethren who dwells with you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve you as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of jubilee. So now, there were literally laws here concerning slavery. And if a poor Israelite sold himself to a Jewish creditor because he couldn't pay back a debt, he was not to be treated like a slave, but was to be treated like family in a sense. He was to be brought into the house. He was to have feasts with the family. He was then to, to also take the Sabbath day off. And then he was to be ministered to and loved like family. And that's where later you get the term bond servant. Where does that term come from? It's a servant that is indentured. And then when his time is up, either the year of Jubilee comes or he's paid back his debt with the time that he's given. And he says, you know what? I know my debt's paid back, but I love my master. I love being a part of this family. I don't want to leave. Then what they would do is they would take him and they would bring their head against the doorpost and they would drive an awl through their ear. And the awl would go into into the wood and blood would be shed from their ear. And that, then they would be, then belong to their master from now on. And they were called a bond servant, a servant by choice. Whenever you see Paul addressing one of his letters, what does he call himself? A bond servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a slave or a servant by choice, by will. It's my passion. And I love the fact that they drove a nail into wood to become a bond servant. Again, nail into wood, picture of Christ. But we see here that again, that when you have someone who does owe you money for whatever reason, somebody's doing work for you, you are to treat them with love and respect. Amen? Not to lord things over them. Not to be a taskmaster. Not to treat them in a rigorous way as it says here in the text. And then when the year of Jubilee came, they were to be free one more time. Look at verses 40 and 41. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers, for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. They were not allowed to be sold into slavery. They're not allowed to be enslaved forever. At the year of Jubilee, a picture of God's grace, they were restored back into his rest, back into fellowship, back into the land that God had originally given them. They were God's servants. They were his family. They've been delivered from bondage and they could be enslaved no more. And you know what? We've been delivered and we can be enslaved no more. Amen? We can no longer be slaves to sin. Now we continue to sin and we struggle with sin, but God's desire is that we be holy, for He is holy. And as Christians, we truly are slaves to righteousness. Because when we sin, we feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. Prior to being born again, you're slaves to sin. You ran to sin. Amen? There was no conviction for sin, unless the Holy Spirit was working on you towards salvation. But now as new creations in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. The debt's been paid. 
We no longer will be enslaved again. And that's what he's saying here. Hey, they, I've paid for them. I delivered them out of bondage. They will never be sold into permanent slavery again while they may have times where they're indebted. We're his treasured possession. May we serve him, not, the, not, the sla- not be slaves of this world and the things of this world. And look what it says in verse 43. You shall not rule over them with rigor, but you shall fear your God. And the word there for rigor is, is severity. And that's the way they were treated when they were in bondage in Egypt. They were whipped. They were beaten. They were mistreated. And he said, you don't, you don't treat them that way. You treat them different. You know what the difference is between, ought to be between Christians and, and unbelievers? First of all, we know we're headed in our relationship with Christ, obviously. But I really believe there should be a major difference in the way we treat people. Amen? We should be, people should just go, what's up with you? Dude, I cut you off at the light and I slammed into your car and you getting out and checking to see if I'm okay instead of cussing me out. You know, the guy dogged you on some job. You know, it's all right. It's okay. I'll pray for you. God bless you. You know, and that's, that is an opportunity for ministry. Amen? And that should be a big difference. And that's the key, saying, guys, you were in Egypt. They're pagans and idol worshipers. And this is how they treated you when you were enslaved to them. But when someone is indebted to you, you don't treat them that way. Because you're mine, and I've delivered you, and you don't treat people the way that the world does. We're almost done. Verse 44 through 46. And as for male and female slaves whom you have from the nations that are not around you, from them that you may buy male and female slaves. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they begat in your land, and they shall become your property. And you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. Now, this is something that you read this and you say, now wait a minute. The Bible's teaching slavery. And the Jews were permitted to have Gentile slaves. Now, what he just said, the way that they were to be treated, went for the Gentiles as well. They were to be treated like family. And they did become permanent slaves often. But the difference is usually it came because of a battle that went on where God was telling them to go wipe out an ungodly land. The Moabites or whoever it might be. And they would go in and they'd wipe out the land and they would take some. Sometimes you tell them to wipe out the land completely and that's what they're supposed to do. Other times they would go in and they would have a great battle and they would literally bring back some of the women and children. They would become literally a part of their family, enslaved to their family. But then they would bring them to the Jewish feasts and they would treat them like family and they would love them but they were bound to them forever and i'll tell you what i believe it's a picture of grace that they would take these people from a godless land and put them into a godly family and treat them like family now god does say though that they will be a part of your family forever and they will belong to you and they're yours to oversee again treat them with dignity not like animals and again they brought them into their home and they treat them like family and again God recognizes that slavery would exist in these circumstances and He gives guidelines for it. Verse 47. Now if a sojourner or a stranger close to you becomes rich and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold he may be redeemed again, one of his brothers may redeem him. So if a man is sold into slavery to a Gentile, then another one of his brothers could come and deliver him from bondage by paying the price, by redeeming him. Again, a kinsman redeemer, again, paying the price and bringing restoration. Verse 49. 
or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or anyone who is near kin to him and his family may redeem him, or if he is able, he may redeem himself. Thus he shall reckon with him who bought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years from that year that he was sold to him until the year of Jubilee. It shall be according to the time of a hired servant for him. So the slaves are set free, but they were being set free again when there was redemption. When were you and I set free from sin? When we were redeemed. When we were purchased. And who is it that paid the price for us? Jesus Christ did. We've been redeemed. And now we to literally have been atoned, our sins have been atoned for. Remember, what was the first day of Jubilee? What was it? The day of what? Atonement. Because without atoning work, there could be no Jubilee. Without atoning work, there could be no forgiveness for sin. Without the atoning work, the, the slaves could not be set free from being slaves. Their debts could not be forgiven. Atonement must come first and then Jubilee. And in our lives, atonement come, must come first and then that true joy that can only come from walking with God. Amen? And that's what Jubilee was really a picture of. And I love, again, that every time they were making any kind of business decision, what did they have to think about? Jubilee. Every time. Wouldn't it be great if every time we made a business decision, we thought about heaven? Okay, I'm making a business decision now. With a heavenly perspective, Lord, what should I do? Thinking about eternity, Lord, how should I respond to this? And that's exactly what's happening here. Every business decision. How many years from Jubilee? Because that's really what matters in making this decision. It says there, if there are any... If there are many years remaining according to them, he shall repay the price of redemption from the money with which he was bought. And if there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, then he shall reckon with him, and according to the years he shall repay him the price of redemption. He shall be with him as a yearly hired servant. He shall not rule over him with rigor over over him in your sight. So the Jews were even to watch how those who were enslaved were were treated. It says, in your sight you should see that they're not being ruled over with rigor, but they're being treated like family. Even though there's debt there, as they're, as they're there, they're to be loved and they're to be treated like a part of the family. And you're to keep an eye to make sure they're not being treated with rigor. Verse 54 and 55. And if he is not redeemed in those years, then he shall be released in the year of Jubilee, he and his children with him. For the children of Israel are servants to me. They are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of, is, of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Jubilee comes and all the slaves are set free. Jubilee comes and everybody's debt is forgiven. That's what is going to happen. has happened for us already. Amen? We're going to get to heaven. Our debts have been paid. We're going to get to heaven. And you know what's interesting? That the Bible talks about the, the, that God has a library. And He does. Lamb's Book of Life and different books it talks about. And I don't know for sure if it's like this, but I almost imagine there being like a book with my name on it and your name on it. And Judgment Day comes and when that book's opened up, if all the sins we've ever done are recorded in there. The difference is that yours and I, your and I books, those of you who have given your life to Jesus Christ, one drop of blood touched the pages of that book and it's wiped clean. Amen? You can open up, there's nothing there. Again, I don't know for sure that that's what it's like, but I kind of picture things like that, that Lord... My, the price has been paid for me. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. And the year of Jubilee is coming. Amen? And I can't wait to spend eternity with Him and rest with Him and be at His feet forevermore. But those who didn't know Him, Jubilee was something they tried to avoid. Maybe look forward. So, in review, 
in rest, refreshment, and redemption. As those who have entered into His rest, whose sins have been paid for, been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, our focus should, not be, on, should be on the eternal and on the promise of heaven. Everything we, should, everything we do should be done with an eternal perspective. Lord, what do you want me to do? Constant thankfulness for all that God has forgiven us for. To treat others with compassion in the light of eternity. To walk in obedience to Him, even when it makes no sense knowing that God will provide. Even when there's going to be two years of no harvest, say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, you're going to provide. You said you would, so I trust you. Knowing that all we have belongs to the Lord. Holding lightly to our possessions. Knowing that Jubilee's coming and it won't matter anymore. Amen? That having compassion for the poor as brothers in Christ, not a business opportunity, not charging them interest. Those that we have authority over, whether it be at work or wherever it might be, that we rule over them with compassion and in the fear of the Lord. And we're to treat, love, serve, and forgive others with the same compassion that God has shown us, delivering us out of the bondage of sin. We've been delivered. We're new creations in Christ. May we live like it. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just this clear picture of of just the atoning work of Christ. And Lord, for the picture of Jubilee, Lord, when all the debts that we've sunk ourselves into are forgiven. That when we've enslaved ourselves to, you've freed us from that bondage, Lord. You paid the price that we would no longer be slaves, that we would no longer be in debt, that we truly can be new creations in Christ. And Father, I pray that we just would look forward in every decision that we would make, Lord, that, Father, help us to stop and take an eternal perspective, Lord, to to look at things through the eyes of heaven, through the eyes of eternity. Lord, when, when difficulties come, Lord, to be setting our mind on things above and not on things of this earth. So, Father, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for your word and how it ministers to our hearts even today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand and close a worship song.